0: Hi there, great to see you again. Um, I've made three visits to Cape Town over the last couple of decades in South Africa. If you tour the city you're gradually going to build up a perspective, a view of that city. You're going to probably see the waterfront, a lovely area of shops at the waterfront. You're going to see probably the townships, a vast, vast sprawling area of poverty. You're probably going to go to Blauberg Strand and see across Table Bay the classic view of the flat-topped Table Mountain, beautiful. And you're probably going to go to District 6 Museum as well, which records the terrible, evil events of 60,000 blacks being taken out of that district in Cape Town in the years of apartheid so that whites only could live there. Basically, you're building up a picture, but it's not until you scale Table Mountain that you can kind of put the whole scene together. John's Gospel has been building in a similar way. John's been telling a whole series of encounters that people have had with Jesus, some of which we've looked at in this Encountering Jesus series. And he's been building a picture of who Jesus is. But it's not until you get to today's perspective like the summit, the primary vantage point of Jesus' resurrection, that you really truly see just the enormity of who Jesus was and is. So by chapter 20, which we're at today, we're at the point where Jesus has been executed, crucified. You see, the Jewish leaders have found him guilty of blasphemy. And in their perspective as well, he's a potential threat to the Jewish religion and, the, and with a particular focus on the temple and even perhaps from the standpoint of the Roman state he could even be a bit of a danger to the relative peace in that part of their empire. Now Jesus' followers had truly hoped, they had really believed that he was the long-promised Messiah and his death has brought about the shattering of all those hopes. They are utterly devastated. For those of us familiar with how the story unfolds, we can miss the emotions that must have been running through the disciples at that time. Richard Wernbrand tells of this, he talks about a friend of his who phoned and told me that a Russian officer had come to him to confess during the Second World War. My friend did not know Russian, however, knowing that I speak Russian, he had given him my address. The next day this man came to see me. He longed for God, but he'd never seen a Bible. He had no religious education and never attended religious services. He loved God without the slightest knowledge of him. So I read to him, Richard Wurmbrand says, I read to him the Sermon on the Mount and the parables of Jesus. After hearing them, he danced around the room in rapturous joy, proclaiming, what a wonderful beauty. How could I live without knowing this Christ? It was the first time, he says, that I saw someone so joyful in Christ. Then I made a mistake. I read to him, the passion and crucifixion of Christ, without having prepared him for this. He had not expected it, and when he heard how Christ was beaten, how he was crucified, and and that in the end he died, he fell into an armchair and began to weep bitterly. He had believed in a saviour, and now his saviour was dead." The first disciples are utterly devastated perhaps they're even angry wondering maybe so they wonder did jesus con us without question they're confused god where are you in all of this and they're certainly fearful later in the chapter we read this on the evening of that first day of the week the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Maybe they'd come and get these disciples next. And then into this devastation and confusion and fear, a few people ridiculously start to report that they have seen Jesus alive again, really alive again. And one of those was Mary Magdalene. She'd gone to the tomb, she'd gone to anoint the body, to pay her respects as well. She knew where Jesus had been laid because she'd seen them bury him in the tomb. And she gets there and she finds the stone guarding the tomb has been rolled away. And she peers in and she finds the body's not here, but she finds the grave clothes strangely are still there. So she hurries to tell Peter and John, who run to the tomb themselves. And sure enough, they check it out for themselves and peer in and look around and find that what Mary said is absolutely correct. Utterly confused, they return to where they're staying and wonder what to make of it all. And then John chapter 20 verses 11 to 18, which we're going to read now, picks up the story like this. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise yet that it was Jesus. So he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Well, thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them he had said these things to her. So let's have a look at some of the crucial words in this exchange that help us to get to grips with the enormity of Mary's encounter here with resurrection power. Well, first, in verse 16, Jesus simply says, Mary. So Mary just wants to be able to honour the memory of Jesus, her hugely influential but dead friend and teacher. And now she's outside the tomb, as we've recounted, and she's utterly, totally confused, fearing that Jesus' body probably has been either stolen by grave robbers or taken away by the authorities. She absolutely was not expecting an early morning encounter with resurrection power. Now, sure, Mary knows about end-time resurrection—that at the end of the at the end of history, Jews believed that God would gather all together and there would be a resurrection. But no Jew, no uh, none of Jesus' disciples had any expectation or hope of an end time resurrection. This is the last thing. She would have expected. And I like to think I'm looking on the scene as she's outside the tomb wondering and crying and so on and Jesus comes up near her. I like to think it's a bit like a movie scene and I'm looking on and I can see that in fact it is Jesus. But what will be his first words to her? The story is told of a Sunday school teacher who just finished telling her class about how Jesus had been crucified and placed in a tomb with a stone sealing the entrance. And wanting to share and convey the surprise and excitement of Easter, the teacher asked, And what do you think were the first words of Jesus when he came bursting out of the tomb? Well, Claire, she's a little girl sitting on the front row, raised her hand. She was eager to answer the teacher's question. She knew what she would say if she came bursting out of the tomb. So the teacher says, "Say, yes, Claire, what did Jesus say as he came out of the tomb? Claire answers, he said, ta But no, that's not what happens. Just as Jesus' birth occurred in humble, ordinary circumstances, so does his resurrection in the quiet of a garden, early in the morning, with no fanfare and no one around. And it's the personal nature of this encounter with resurrection power that I think is so striking, Mary. I think it's the precious relationship implied in this one word that's so significant, Mary resurrection power, yes, Jesus has burst through death for all of us, but experienced in the gentle calling of her name. Calling her name means that it's really him. Calling her name means that he knows that he still cares. And it's what he says to you too. Jane, Harry, and Ian, and Emily, and Peter, and Hannah. He calls your name. He calls my name. Don't fear, I'm alive. We're going to see Martin's story now. Because resurrection power called Martin's name.
1: City gate during this time of encountering Jesus that we're looking at I've been asked to share how encountering Jesus has uh, affected me um, it's quite quite dramatic so I, I'm not sure which part to tell you but in a nutshell um, before I met Jesus I was living on the street and uh, I was a junkie and uh, somebody told me about Jesus when I was taken in by the YMCA. Um That said, I carried on with my life of drugs for twelve years, and um, but Jesus never left me. Um, I always had Jesus in my mind and in my heart, uh, but I just couldn't seem to stop the lifestyle I was living uh, eventually um, I bowed the knee, if you like, and uh, really tried to give myself fully to Christ, and my life was transformed um, I didn't do any cold turkey. Because I was mainlining every day, and my life changed quickly. I made tons of mistakes afterwards, I failed marriages, <laughs> failed relationships, uh, but God never left me. He always stayed with me, he always forgave me. Um, when I made stupid mistakes again and again, he always picked me up. Um, if you're not a Christian, I would say, try ask Jesus into your life ask him to forgive you you've got nothing to lose and I promise you he will be there he's a real gentleman he's very gentle with you he knows exactly what you need and if you are a Christian and you're still making mistakes don't beat yourself up just keep trying Jesus will never leave you it's wonderful I've now got a lovely family lovely children and my life has been transformed from absolute chaos to something wonderful. Life's still difficult, but it's wonderful with Jesus. So I encourage you, try. Just ask and you'll receive. Bless you.
0: Thank you, Martin. Great to hear from you. How can Martin say that he's encountered Jesus? How can he say that Jesus has never left me? How can you say to us that Jesus will never leave you? The reason is that Jesus is alive and that in encountering Jesus alive, we encounter his resurrection power. So verse 16, Jesus simply says, Mary. And then verse 17, he says, amongst other things, he says, do not hold on to me. We can imagine Mary overwhelmed by what's happening, bowing down, fallen on her face, clasping hold of Jesus' feet, which reminds us of the simple but profound and absolutely crucial fact about resurrection power and about this scene that we've been reading about, that Jesus is truly physically alive in real-time history. It is real feet that Mary is holding. You see, this is no hallucination that's going on here. That's a common accusation or a common attempt to try and explain away these resurrection experiences and encounters. It's not a hallucination. When I lived in Sussex, uh, we had some neighbours right next door who uh, were, were an elderly couple, lovely older couple. And in the course of time, he died of an illness, long-term illness. And um, I remember I went to the funeral. It was all obviously very sad. A few weeks later, I went round to just knock on the door and see how she was, how Ruth was doing. And that particular morning, she said to me, I saw him. I saw Charlie this morning. She believed she had had a proper encounter with her dead husband. But she knew he wasn't physically alive and back again in his physical body. After his resurrection, a multitude of disciples spoke to Jesus, touched him, ate with him. That's not hallucination. Adrian Warnock a Christian writer says this, having worked as a psychiatrist and having spoken to many people with hallucinations, I can confirm that nothing about these appearances of Jesus sounds similar to either the normal experiences of the recently bereaved or the troubling nightmares of the mentally ill. It's not a hallucination, nor nor is this a, a purely spiritual experience, if you like, that Mary's having here. In other words, Jesus is alive in my spirit. His His truth lives on in my heart. That's not what's going on here. There was a man by the name of John Spong. He was a uh, he was a bishop in the church in New York. Now retired, and he had this vague spiritual idea, non physical idea. And he would say this. He said this about Easter. Easter for me, the resurrection of Jesus, is for me eternal, subjective, mythological non-historical and non-physical, yet Easter is also something real to me. But that, that's neither what the Gospel accounts clearly present, nor what is needed for our salvation. No, we affirm the real, physical, historical resurrection of Jesus from real, physical, historical death. That's what Mary is encountering. And she doesn't need to hold on to him anymore in the sense that he will now never leave again because he will send his spirit. So she is in no danger of losing him again. We encounter resurrection power by the spirit he sent. We will never lose him. He will never lose us he is forever present with us. Verse 16, verse 17, and then verse 18. I have seen the Lord, she says. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Well, I expect she said a great deal more than those few words that we've got. And I'm absolutely sure that disciples who haven't yet met Jesus risen had a whole load of questions for her. Wouldn't you? I would certainly have done. But John records this as her essential testimony. Having seen the resurrected Jesus, I have seen the Lord. Now, let me take you to later that day. It's evening now. And the disciples, verse 19, were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jewish leaders. Into that room, suddenly Jesus comes. We're told that he showed them his hands, the nail marks in his hands and his feet and the spear mark in his side, reassuring them that this really, truly was him physically, not just a ghost. Thomas wasn't there one of the disciples Thomas he wasn't there on that occasion but later verse 25 the rest of the disciples say to him we have seen the Lord to which Thomas well-known story says unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger into his side I will not believe I say fair enough This is extraordinary news. This is something that never happens. Resurrection. You say it's really him, Thomas says to them, that you've seen the nail marks in his hands and his feet. Well, I need to see that as well if I'm ever going to believe this. Well, fast forward a week now and all the disciples, including Thomas, are together. And again, Jesus suddenly appears in the room. Well Thomas's jaw drops to the floor the other disciples are probably saying told you do you believe us now and then verse 27 Jesus said to Thomas put your finger here see my hands reach out your hand and put it into my side stop doubting and believe to which Thomas famously replies, my Lord and my God. First, we've had Mary saying, I have seen the Lord. Then we've had the disciples minus Thomas saying, we have seen the Lord. And now Thomas is saying, my Lord and my God. You see, if Jesus, wonderful teacher, miracle worker and prophet simply died, then that's the end of it. You might want to honour his memory and his impact, but that's it. He might live on, inspiring us in a kind of way, but that's as far as it goes. But if Mary and the disciples and Thomas have truly encountered Jesus dead and now Physically, truly alive, raised to life, conquering our greatest enemy, death, then their witness that Jesus is Lord and God is the only logical conclusion. Because to encounter resurrection power is the most extraordinary thing imaginable. But it's even more than that, it's a personal conclusion. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Have you reached that verdict yet? Have you encountered for yourself the resurrection power of Jesus? Have you bowed down and surrendered all to Jesus as Martin has done? You see, John stated his aim at the end of this chapter twenty. He wrote, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, eternal life in his name. That's where John's gospel has been heading all along, to this primary vantage point, which makes sense of all the other scenes that we've been looking at, resurrection, power and life in the name of Jesus. He's not just an example and a teacher and a prophet. He is Lord and God and saviour and conqueror of your greatest fear enemy death. What a magnificent account John has given us and how wonderful to finish with resurrection power. If you're already a Christian, may I encourage you and pray that you will cling to Jesus as Lord and God. And if you haven't surrendered to Jesus yet, I would pray that you do so. I would urge you to do so, to cry out, my Lord and my God, and surrender all to the one who has conquered death by his resurrection power.